Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning and welcome again. Um, yesterday was challenging, today gets even worse. Uh, we're in chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church at Sardis write, These things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. I know you have a reputation for life, but that you are dead. Show yourselves watchful and strengthen what remains, but is going to die. I've not found your works completed before my God. Remember then how you received and heard the gospel and keep it and repent. If then you are not on the watch, I will come as a thief and you will not know at what hour I come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they will walk with me in white raiment because they are worthy. He who overcomes will be thus clothed in white raiment and I will not wipe his name out of the book of life, but I will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, Sardis, it's interesting how much of this letter relates to the history of Sardis. Um, the images are very, uh, very much um, historical. So Sardis had been the centre of an empire. Uh, a place of virtually unbridled wealth. Its position was unassailable. It was on the top of a, a, a spur that virtually had cliffs all around the bottom of it and a very difficult entry to it. So it was as safe as could be. You just couldn't attack the thing. Uh, Croesus ruled there. Um, we still have that phrase, some people use it still, as rich as Croesus. Well, he was the king in Sardis. It was that rich, that safe, that stable, um, but some of the great visitors of the times visited Sardis, visited their kings and warned that the city was soft, that it had no heart. It was relying entirely on its geography and the gold that was mined near there. And it was just like, who cares? You know, it's great. Life is good. And, uh, and it was soft. It was flabby. Now, one of the kings at one point, uh, was debating whether he should go to war. So he went to Delphi and spoke to the oracle. Now, the Delphic oracles were classic in being able to say things that could be right, whatever happened. Uh, they were geniuses at it. And they had this way of, of telling you something that you could interpret. And so the word to the king was, if you attack, you will destroy a great empire. Well, the king never thought for a second that it was his empire was going to get destroyed. He figured he was going to have a great victory. So he wandered off, made the attack, and had to retreat to his very safe city. Now, the city's on the hill. The siege erupts. They're being held. It's okay. But then the guys at the bottom of the hill noticed one day that a, a soldier from the top of the hill dropped his helmet over the top. So they went and, and then popped out somewhere further down, retrieved the helmet and went back up. Thought, That's curious. So one or two fellows did a little climb up to try to find if there was a fissure in the rock that they could get up. And they discovered a way that some very healthy men could get to the top of the hill without being seen. 
And so and, and not a very large squad did this, got to the top of the hill and found the city completely undefended. There was no one even watching. They weren't, they were that safe in their fortress. And of course the city fell. Um, that was in about 540 BC. In about 218 BC, pretty much the same thing happened again. So Sardis was a place that fell into the hand of its enemies because it was not watching. And Jesus looks at this city again and says, what's new? The church has imbibed the spirit of this place. You feel safe. Everything's going okay. It's happy. And you're at risk of getting your names taken out of my book of life because of it. Sick to death of this sort of religion. There's no indication of any real persecution in the town. There's no heresy that's addressed. It seems there's no gross immorality going on. Um, the worship is predictable, it seems. It's not really challenging. It's comfortable. It's a nice place. It's a good place to bring the kids. It's making absolutely no impact for the kingdom of God, nor is it making any great holiness in the lives of its people. It has a reputation for being alive. It is, in fact, dead, completely asleep at the wheel. Um, yeah, so the, the, the dead thing is an image for sin in the New Testament. I haven't got time to list it all, but, you know, the prodigal son is dead but is alive. Um, Paul talks about sin as death, so on and on. And, and this is effectively a very sinful church. They are missing the mark that God has set for them. And for all it feels nice, it feels comfortable, it looks Christian. Jesus is cheesed off with them. He's ready to blot their names because they're such a nice, low-impact church. They, um, they had to quote Timothy, a form of godliness, but denied the power. Woe to you, said Jesus, when all men speak well of you. Well, this church is in that moment. They're so dull, there's not even any heresy. Someone once said, you know, the mark of a, a vibrant church is that there is some heresy. There's some pushing at the edges. There's some thinking and wondering. This isn't even happening there. And we still have churches like that. A few people who go after God with great passion and vigor. But for the main, things are nice. The budgets are okay. Programs are adequately staffed. The pastor's a nice bloke. In the words of somebody who uh, is not in the church I'm in currently, it was a very long time ago, I think he'd be dead by now, uh, we were trying to work out how to bring some life into the mission and ministry of the church. And the guy stood up and said, an influential guy, said, why do we want to do any of this? We don't owe anybody any money and we're all happy. Why change anything? Bang. Wake up, says Jesus. This type of religion gets names taken out of the book of life. What to do? The, the verbs commanding them are imperative verbs. They do this now, verbs. Remember what happened when you received the gospel. Repent and watch. Watching in the New Testament, well, where it pops up. Um, be watchful, says Romans um, and Corinthians. The Christian must be on the watch against the wiles of the devil, says Peter. We've got to be on the watch against temptation, says Jesus. Um, be on the watch for the coming of the Lord. Um, be on, on watch because you don't know when the day of your Lord is coming. What I say to you all, I say, watch, says Jesus, Matthew and Mark. Um, let's not sleep as others do, writes Paul to the Thessalonians. Let's keep awake. Let's be sober. Christians have to be on the watch against false teaching. 
Paul's past letters to the Ephesians. He says, um, you know, there's going to be people who will invade the church from outside and from inside. They'll speak strange things. Watch, says Paul. Now, the big thing about watching is don't forget that it's not just us watching. Christ is watching us. And this is where I think this letter grabs us by the throat. Christ is watching us. I've not found your works perfect, says Christ. Christ is looking for something from us. Christ is watching to see what we will bring to him. Now, so often the way the gospel is preached and the way we live, Christ is the one, God is that one who must, you know, we must be able to go to for things, for strength, for help, for comfort, for support, for ways forward. These are the things that God must give us. Yeah, here Jesus inverts that and says, no, I'm looking for something from you. What do you bring to the table in this covenant? I'm looking for your loyalty, your love, your service, your obedience, your repentance, your remembering, your watching, some passion, some fire. Where is it? And we have somehow, in the Western church anyway, almost completely inverted this, this sort of religion. We preach the gospel as if it's all the things God will do for you without ever getting to the Beatitudes or any of the stuff that says, and this is what you must do for God. We have, we have come to the point of, of helping people understand it's all about what you believe. No, it's not. It's about repentance. It's about what you do. It's about how you live. It's about obeying a king and living in a kingdom. And that's what the Book of Life image is all about. Ancient kings kept books of their citizens. And when someone committed an offence against the state or died, their names were taken out of the book. They were no longer citizens. So Jesus here is really putting it on us. I need something from you. I need your citizenship for me to be more of an ambassadorship. I need to be known in this town. I need to be known in this church. And I'm not. And I'm sick of it. Now, for all that, there are some faithful people in the church. And uh, they will be given white robes, symbols of victory and purity in the ancient world. And their name will not be cut from the Book of Life. The other thing I just find fascinating about that Book of Life is um, near-death experience analysis that I, I read last year. The, um, about 75% of people who have near-death experiences that get as far as meeting the man, the man is carrying a book, and that book, once opened, leads to this incredible inventory of, of their life. That phrase, I saw my life flash before my eyes, comes from these near-death experiences where the book is opened and in a moment people can see their lives from God's perspective. It's, it's a tantalising image. It's very important that when that book is opened, our name should be found there. So this morning, I really do want to throw this out. I think the Western Church is hung on this letter. We have subverted it to a faith rather than a kingdom, to a religion rather than a way. And we are very, very much in the position of this church. It's time for us to wake up to ourselves. It feels good to be in that church. It's nice. It's friendly. It's fun.
that sort of religion gets people destroyed and their names removed from the book of life. I didn't say it. John did. Uh, with those rather terrifying thoughts, let's come to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, I guess really with a prayer that we might repent. God, that we might not have some form of religion. Look, that we wouldn't be like the Salesian church. So dull, so lackluster, they weren't even worth persecuting. No one was even worried about them. And Father, that's honest to goodness, Lee, where most churches in our world, in our town anyway, are now. Yeah, it's nice if you want to go to church, all right? No one's worried about it. Father, we pray for the kingdom of God to come. We keep forgetting that when the kingdom of God comes in the Gospels, it's a confrontation uh, antagonism story. When the kingdom comes in the book of Acts, these are the men who've turned the world upside down. People die. And, and God, we have this cute idea that if we come to you and you give us all the good things, then everything is in order. And Lord, we just need a harder cut than that. And we need to restore that which remains in each one of us, that little fire of holiness, of hope, of faith, of repentance, of desiring to be like Jesus, of being fit ministers of a new covenant, of being the ambassadors and citizens of a kingdom as yet unseen. So, Lord, <laughs> it's Christmas time. And we start to see in those Christmas stories the incredible cost that it was to you to come, the massacre of the innocents time as a refugee, all of the, the stories of yeah, priests from other religions coming, lowlifes coming, and it's just this story of an invasion of God that changed everything and upset everything. God, our religion is so friendly and so cute, and we've even tamed Christmas for crying out loud. We've made it friendly and cute too. God, we have this wonderful, wonderful, powerful way of turning the things of God into dead religion. We all do it. We've all done it. We'd like to stop, please, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. On that rather profound note, uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and uh, we'll, um, we, won't, we won't be here tomorrow morning. It's Christmas morning, and I think we'll all have, I hope, worship services to attend and kids to open presents with and all sorts of good things. So, um, God willing, on Monday, we'll be back and we will uh, persevere through our little Cook's tour of Asia Minor down to Philadelphia. Anyway, have a wonderful Christmas and uh, we'll be online on Sunday morning again at uh, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning at um, 51 Allenby Road. Very, very welcome. We'd love, to, um, we'd love to have you come and join us. God bless. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please... Don't forget to sign up to thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.